There's nowhere else like it. It's different. Americans are different. It's incredible. If I could run for president, I'd run for president just because I want to protect the country. Well, I think it would be an honor to have someone of your character run for president. (laughs) I understand there are laws that would prevent that. (laughs) Top leaders. Meaningful conversation. Actionable advice. Bulldoze complacency. Ignite inspiration. Create impact. Produced by the Southwestern family of companies. This is the Action Catalyst. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Today's guest is Alicia Silberg, a leading venture capitalist in Silicon Valley, where she mentors tech startups and helps them go public. She is CEO and general partner of the investment firm Street Global and is known as an entrepreneur so determined to change the world, not even a bullet could stop her a story which you'll hear about in today's episode, and which is also recounted in her book, Unemployable, How I Hired Myself. We hope you enjoy. Well, I'm super excited to be with you. So thank you for sharing your time. I would actually love for you to start with your background because I think that sets a nice foundation for where you are today. Walk us through a little bit of your background. So it's a wild journey and I'll do my absolute best to to share with your listeners the stuff that I feel is most important in terms of their own journeys. So my dad was an immigrant from Eastern Europe, you know, back in the day. So he was born in 1917, which sounds completely wild. And um, that was a very different time in America. So they went on boats to South Africa. Um, they arrived in South Africa in 1929. You know, these immigrants with just clothes on their backs. And um, he was very fortunate. He had a passion, which was the arts. He was a chemist by training, and he made his way to America, you know, an incredibly difficult thing at the time. And he trained under Max Factor, uh, the makeup artist, and he became somebody who worked on movie sets with the most famous celebrities in the world. And I think part of my madcap adventure inside of me comes from, comes from my dad's journey. He had to unfortunately go back to South Africa, even though he was successful in, in America. And um, that started a journey for all of us in the sense that he, during apartheid, um, created what was the world's only pharmacy and costume hire store. And I was born into this, as I say, wild environment. And I grew up in that environment. And whilst it was fun, it was also incredibly difficult because there was always a shortage of money growing up. So he was passionate about helping other people. And you can read it in the book as a chemist, because, you know, apartheid, there was no doctors for the bulk of South Africa. He'd give away medicines for free. He became this community doctor. So for us, we kind of suffered the consequences because we were always short of money. And this all, in you know, he died during a car accident very unexpectedly. And then we were going to lose the business because the business was crippled in debt. So they were coming for the house. They were coming for absolutely everything we owned. I was 10. My brother was six years older than me. My mother was a ballerina. So, you know, that's the kind of skills she had. And it was a fight for human survival. And we started just like fighting for this business. We slept in the shop, which it was extremely dangerous. You know, like there's a lot, a lot went wrong. And I, like, I slept under costume rails for a long time. And we just worked 18, 20 hours a day for five years. We managed to save the business. A lot was learned. That's what took me on my journey to Canada because we wanted more, my brother and I. We were obsessed with getting to North America. And eventually I made my way to North America. And today I'm incredibly fortunate. I get to invest in startups after being a founder. I get to work with extraordinary people. And so I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful to be in the US and to be, you know, building the startups and working with startups 
Okay, so South Africa, but then Canada. Tell me about that. Sure. So we were poor. We had a very old car. We would barely go, but we had a car and we lived in a very dangerous neighborhood as well. Couldn't afford to leave. And um, one night on a Saturday night, we got attacked. It was very intense attacking and I got shot. My mother got beaten up. It was harrowing, even like even by Hollywood movie standards. The moment that happened, I decided I was always obsessed with coming to America from the day I was born. I think my dad planted that seed in my mind. I was like, I'm going no matter what it takes. And my circumstances around me, people refer to it as a dead end life. That was my life in South Africa. And for many people, that's their lives. We got attacked. I remember standing, bleeding, screaming my head off, screaming, saying, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going and you have to help me leave. I made up my mind there and then I was going to get to North America no matter what. And uh, my brother and I came up with a very entrepreneurial venture where we would create costumes, you know, from our crazy costume shop for the burgeoning Hollywood film industry in Canada. Sounds crazy, but this is economics tax. So basically, Hollywood, very expensive to create movies. New York, very expensive to create movies. And so that at that time, they were starting to do a lot more movies in, in Nova Scotia. And my brother and I, being very good researchers, we figured this out. And we figured out that there was a trade treaty between certain countries in Canada and that you could apply to participate in this trade treaty and you could get funding and you could build a business. And so off I was shipped to Canada to go pitch this to the Canadian government. I was 15 at the time. And I'm telling them about this amazing, amazing, you know, venture that they would, of course, want to participate in. They said yes. They were incredible. That was my first taste of what it meant to be in North America in terms of being an entrepreneur, to see how well organized things are, the opportunities. And no one laughed at me. No one said I was stupid. And what I experienced changed my life. Okay, so you did that at 15. 15, and it was crazy. Like when I look back, I'm like, wow. A grown-up, mature version of me was like, I think it was adrenaline as well as nothing to lose. I think that played a big role where your life is so bleak that you're like, I really have nothing to lose and I have everything to gain. I see homelessness in America. Here, I live in, in Venice, in LA, and I see all those people and I think about it every day and I'm like, I could have been one of those people. I just happened to be lucky enough that I had a drive to say, okay, my circumstances suck. No one's going to come in to rescue us. Like, this is it. And I'm going to try and I'm not going to give up. To this day, that drives me. I can never forget how close we came to having absolutely nothing. Tell me, I know you said you and your mom didn't always get along. What were some of the things you garnered from her? My ability to never give up. She pushed me extraordinarily hard. I think in some respects, it almost damaged me. I had somebody who had a very tough life and who kept pushing me harder because she knew how tough her life had been. And she wanted me to, to have the best life possible, even if she had difficulty in helping me create that. Has she been able to see your success? No, but that's okay. I hope she's proud of me. I'm sure she is. Sure she is. Let's shift gears ever so slightly and talk about technology. I just think there's an aptitude for technology. Some people have it, some people don't. I definitely don't have it. So that's very interesting to me. So you're 15 years old. What technology did you have at hand? How did you figure out that that's kind of part of your thing? Thank you for your honesty in terms of your ability to use technology. I'm the same. It's ironic, but I'm not good with technology, as funny as that may sound. I'm not natural at this. And I think that's important. But at that time, the internet was so, so, so basic. Like it was really basic. And when, when you ask about Canada, you got to picture these two kids sitting in deepest, darkest Africa. Okay. We're at the tip of Africa. 
We're at an internet cafe. The internet was not like America. We're sitting there looking on the internet and we want to go to Canada. And we like, oh, this place looks interesting. It's got a cute little boat. I'm not kidding with you, okay? Like a cute little sailing boat. It's in the pictures. And it looks very sophisticated compared to where we're coming from. And this is Halifax, Nova Scotia. And that was our interaction with the internet, that it was like this raw thing that gave us the ability to fulfill our dreams. And that was the relationship I formed with technology from very early on, where at each turn, I could do a certain amount and then it needed to do something, needed to do the rest. And it was always the technology. There was always something that could help me to help myself get where I wanted. And like to this day, like people are like, how are you so involved in AI? I'm like, it's pretty simple. I'm a human with a problem. And I found that the technology helps me solve it. Like my accent. Um, it's hard for Americans to understand my accent. For me, it's very important for Americans to understand me. I want to live here. I want to immerse myself in the culture. But in order to do that, people have to understand you. I was like, okay, I'm going to get an AI coach. I'm just going to practice and practice. I just started applying it in every aspect of my life. And as I say, as a woman, it started giving me leverage that I would have never had any other way because where I do things to almost make myself small, it would help me make myself big. And so that relationship, as I say, was, again, survivalistic, but technology showed up for me in a massive, massive way. Fascinating. So one of the things you talk about was early on, you were willing to take these risks because what did you have to lose? Now you have stuff to lose. How do you still keep that unbelievable risk appetite that served you incredibly well, but now you have something to lose? So talk to me about that. I think it comes down to our values. And I think the thing I value most in the world is learning. I can't get enough of learning. And I think that just drives me forward. I, I feel like physically sick when I'm not learning. Like it's it sounds insane, but it's that constant need to to just keep growing. And it's like I'm constantly investing in startups. I'm constantly building. I'm constantly creating. Some stuff works. Some stuff doesn't work. But, you know, you just keep on going. That's probably why I love the AI so much because it grows and it grows faster than me, which sounds insane. But at the same time, it keeps me on my toes. Like there are times where I run into my own barriers in terms of like engaging with people because I've had imposter syndrome, you know, like it's, it's stuff, there's realities of who we are. And then I'll work with the AI. I have conversations with, with GPT around this and GPT learns faster than I do. And it, it adapts faster than I do. And then I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I have to stop. I have to think about this. I have to come back tomorrow. But I could see it didn't stop learning. It was comfortable keeping on going. My mind couldn't go any further that day. And that's been very interesting because that forces my mind in a positive way to keep on growing. Each time I get on a call with the founder and each time I get to learn something new about what they're doing to solve a major problem in the world, for me, there's very few things that give me that kind of joy. I don't know. That's a good way to be, I think. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Fantastic. So let me ask you this. There's a ton of conversation right now around this idea of growth mindset. And it got me thinking, do you think the growth mindset, is that nature or nurture? Nurture. I took it upon myself to build like a rewards challenge for myself. I've lived and died by these rewards challenges. So it's like mini habits where I'll give myself like a book I really want as a reward. And 
I'll be like, I'm going to break through on this thing. And for me, that was like, I could see I was fixed in a lot of areas and that I never wanted to be. I knew that to get to America, to live the life I wanted, to feel the sense of fulfillment and joy that I sought so much versus the pain and heartache. And as you say, a survivor that was still within me, even if externally it may not have looked so much like that. And I was like, to do that, I have to change the wiring in my brain. Trust me, it was a really tough thing to do. But I think that was why it was very important for me to write the book because I could see how there was so much darkness that came with me, so much pain, so much heartache, so much just like yuckiness still inside of me, even though I, was, I had a lot of accomplishments. And to really do that, I had to take on a growth mindset and I have to say like, this is my life. Like, this is what I'm going to do. I went from I can't to I can because there were a number of times I wanted to give up. But I believe that I don't think a lot of people who have been through difficulty have that growth mindset nurtured into them, but I do believe they can nurture it into themselves. I think one of the things that is going to be so relatable to you, I mean, let's face it, most of us have not grown up in some of the extreme situations that you have been faced with. But despite that, we still struggle with the same things that you mentioned, the I can't, the imposter syndromes. I was carrying so much baggage, though, even if I wasn't aware of it. And the idea that I put it on paper, and I highly encourage you and everyone listening, it's an incredible exercise to actually sit down and write a book. I highly recommend anyone that thinks that they, they really, they've got a gift and they want to share it. I call it superpowers. Give that gift to yourself, however long it takes. Just keep going. Just keep going. And as I say, it's worth it. That's awesome. So I love your transition because the next thing I wanted to ask about was this superpower. What is your superpower or powers? Well, let me start by saying I'd love to know what your superpower is. For me, it started with a pair of pink roller skates. Sounds insane, but so I'm five years old. Everyone around me has got these roller skates. And I realized we can't afford them. And I knew better to ever ask my parents. It was just like not something I'd ever do because I didn't want to make them feel bad about themselves. And so that's how I figured out the solution. But for me, I learned to fall in love with selling. Like it sounds crazy, but I learned to fall in love with like building companies, selling, and the joy of solving someone's problem for them. Somebody has a problem and I can delight them with a solution. And the memories people have of me being in the shop and I could barely stand over the counter and I'd be stretching up and I'd be smiling and I'd be selling. And it was just, it was like every time I message someone about half one of my companies and I'm like, please, we help them. Please, we help them. Please, we help them. You were like, we can't say no to you. That's awesome. (laughs) That's my superpower. So I think that would be my one superpower. And I think the other one is maybe pattern recognition. You know, being a survivor, I learned to recognize patterns very early on, just in terms of survival and in terms of like keeping safe. And I think it's helped me a lot in terms of like making investments and just learning to see where the world is going, which I've, you know, now it's just like a joy to do that kind of thing. But I think pattern recognition too, I think many people comes down to curiosity as well, where you're like curious, hey, what's happening? And then like making these fun predictions for yourself and practicing making them till eventually they kind of just become like this like game you play with yourself. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Hey, one of the things you talk about is obviously the the name of the book, Unemployable. You took a career aptitude test and it said you were not employable. How old were you when you took that test? I think I must have been 19 at the time and it had a profound effect on me. Like, why do you think that was so profound? Because 18 or 19, you already had some successes. 
I think we have to start with, if you look back on the circumstances, so poor, blue collar, all intents and purposes, if you looked at our quality of life, not proper writing, you know, they turned off the water regularly, they turned off, you know, the power regularly, like this was, this is the way we lived. It wasn't food regularly. And so the idea that I was able to join a, a fancy bank, you know, in inverted commas, fancy, sophisticated investment bank was like, to some extent, especially in that culture, wow, I've made it. So I think it's important for this. I was Jewish too. So the idea that being Jewish, going into banking was like a prestigious thing. So finally, I cleaned up well, for lack of a better term. You know, like I, I made my family proud and we're finally moving into a different class structure, I suppose. And the idea that at that first moment, I take this test. I've never failed a test before. I've been told my entire life, you've got to be the best. No option, the best. And whatever cost it comes at, the best. I've been to expensive, fancy Jewish school on a scholarship. But the idea that I got told, we don't want you here. You have no place here. You don't belong here. Once again, you're an outsider in your own community. So everyone around me had, you know, been to these fancy schools, been to work in banks. It was a cultural thing where that's what people do. And the idea that I got told, you're an entrepreneur. I'm thinking, oh, not a more, more entrepreneur. Never allowed, you know, into the system. And you're a researcher. Okay, you state in the obvious. These two things I can do, but I don't want to only do, be able to do these things. I want to be able to hold my head up high. I want to belong somewhere. And the idea that I brought the shame on my family, that was very painful. The idea that once again, I'm being thrown out of um, the insider club, always the outsider, never the insider. It was ironic because they were basically complimenting me and they were saying, well, you're very good at what you do. You've developed mastery at what you do. Stick to what you're doing. But it wasn't well received in that community. And that's why I wanted to come to America because in this country, it's it's noble to be a founder. It's noble that if you fail, you get up, you try again. No one will judge you. I do think when, when we're doing it right as a country, we allow you to make your own club. And that is certainly what you have done. It's a very, very special country. Like, I think you have to grow up elsewhere. And I know Americans are like, but we're going through so many problems. And I'm like, you have to grow up elsewhere to know how special it is. Yeah, it's very, very special. And it's worth protecting because... There's nowhere else like it. Like, there's nowhere else that gives the kind of opportunities. Like, it's different. Americans are different. Anything's possible. And the fact that you can be building basically anything, and you always find a customer to support you. You'll always find an investor to support you. You'll always find employees to be on your team. It's incredible. If I could run for president, I'd run for president just because I want to protect the country. Well, I think it would be an honor to have someone of your character run for president. <laughs> I understand there are laws that would prevent that, but that would be a breath of fresh air. So since that's off the table, what is next for you? What, what are your eyes set on next? So I want to build a community around unemployable, a force for good at a time where, as I say, I'm very involved with AI. We've seen a lot of change in terms of the economy and we see a lot of you know tech layoffs. And so for me, the idea that people see this as more than a book, but more as a platform where they're like, hey, I'm worried about losing my job, or I lost my job, or I just want to build something. And the idea that they see the lessons in the book as um, inspiration, and give, it gives them that sense of courage to be like, okay, I'm going to use this information, and I'm going to start building, because as we were talking, each person has a superpower, and use the power of the internet. I, I keep saying to people, there are 3 billion people online. You don't need 3 billion customers. 
with all like you know there's so many studies you need a thousand customers to build a very nice business for yourself that can sustain you in a very a, a great manner so the idea that people say okay i'm going to build i'm going to build a company for myself um i think that inspires me beyond beyond measure and my personal goal for myself is that i see a hundred thousand companies and people say to me where do you want those companies founded i'm like I'm American through and through, so Delaware-based company sounds crazy, but I'm very proud of the fact that people contribute to the U.S. economy, pay tax, and buy people, and that I think that's great. And so that's that's a big, big goal for me is that I see that succeed. And you know, I invest heavily in AI. I got a free AI newsletter, which I hope people join, subscribe to. They can ask me questions. We put a lot of work into it. I have a team for it, and there's like tools. It's all kinds of things that I encourage people to just start looking at. And it's like people will be like wow, that's a bit scary. You know, I, I, I'm just starting out. I know nothing about AI. I'm like, that's fine. Just start looking at it if you're interested in art. Look at look at the, the images and be like, wow, that's AI-generated art. Um, look how about the book is AI-generated. The images in the book are AI-generated. We worked very hard to create those with one of my founders. And so finding something you're interested in when it comes to the AI too and just saying, hey, Alicia's got some articles and those things. Let me read about it. Let me message her. Let me ask her a question. For me, that's very important because I want people to be left behind. It's an exciting time to be living. So those are my priorities right now. That's awesome. Okay, so I know you have a thirst to learn. I would even say it is almost for you like breathing. It just (laughs) naturally brings you joy, which by the way, I mean, of all the things to love, that's a good one. You love it so much, people ask you if you're on drugs. That is fan. I mean, wow, that is fantastic. I mean, really? <laughs> okay. Um, but what are your guilty pleasures? What do you secretly love to learn about that people might be surprised or didn't know or whatever the case may be? I love learning about art. Art. I think it's because there's so much to understand that you don't. You create your own interpretation, but at the same time, there's so many layers to it. Like I recently watched. I'm obsessed with the Renaissance. We're living through modern day Renaissance. And um, I was just in Italy um, to celebrate the book coming out. I-, I learned about some pieces by Leonardo da Vinci. And they had, as a result of the technology, there were so many layers on this piece that no one was aware of, but the technologies enabled us to see it. And there were like five artworks on one artwork. And it was just so incredible to be able to, like, I wonder what he was thinking about in that version. I wonder what he was thinking about in that version. And it was just so fascinating. And so for me, the entire house is covered in art and art and art books. I can never buy enough art books. So I think that's, and again, the privilege of living in the US. In South Africa, we had no art galleries, museums, art galleries, everything was stolen. And the idea that I can get in LA go for free to an art gallery, a different art gallery every Sunday, wow. That's my guilty pleasure, and I never get tired of it. Your humility is so sincere, and it comes through so much in your just gratitude, which, oh, is so endearing. Really appreciate your willingness to give of your time. I think you've been incredibly generous with your time and um, so thoughtful with your questions. I really appreciate it. If people are looking for the book, they can find it on Amazon. I think that's the easiest place to find it. And whatever that feedback is, don't be shy to share it. Like, I'm obsessed with radical open-mindedness, and I love learning. So if there's stuff I can take away from the book right in your review, like, be honest, message me, reach out to me, and I want to engage with people. So whatever your feedback is, just reach out to me and let me know. But if it's mean, I'm going to respond. You don't need to be mean people. (laughs) 
Thank you again. Incredibly, incredibly appreciative for this beautiful, beautiful conversation. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And as always, thanks for listening.